Welcome to the latest episode of The Property Perspective, This Is Us. You're with Sophia Chu, Manager at Crown Residences at Wambarangaroo, and Chris Norton, Director of Research and Consultancy. Hi, Sophia. I really think that this podcast needs a jingle, and so I've taken it upon myself to uh, craft one myself. So, The Night Frank Property Perspective. The Property Perspective. So, Chris, you're a director in the research and consultancy team at Knight Frank. How did you come to be here? What did you do in your previous life before property? I started at Knight Frank in 2018, so two years ago, and that was my first job in property. I actually started out as an economist, uh, so I started at the RBA. I really wanted to work in a policy area and an organisation like the RBA is quite appealing. You could look at monetary policy, how the economy's tracking and how to adapt and change policy to suit that. So I did that for quite a while, really in a research role. And then I joined an asset consultancy called JANA. So it was really looking at how macroeconomic developments impacted financial markets and, and asset allocation. And so through that, I got quite interested in macro, how you can apply that to financial markets and investment strategy. And that really uh, led to this property role where I'm really looking at capital markets, mostly in Australia, but also overseas and how does the macroeconomic environment affect those markets, particularly with a focus on, on office and industrial mainly. And just looking at those trends and looking at the outlook of those markets. What was it like working at the RBA and how do you think that that prepared you for what you do now? I enjoyed it. I started there as a grad. I moved up from Melbourne, so I didn't actually know anyone in Sydney at the time. And there are a whole bunch of interstate grads there as well. So that was good to get to know people and build a social network and we had a lot of fun. It's quite a friendly and supportive environment. So I quite like working there, but the key thing it gives you is training in research, training in writing as well. And just gives you an insight into policy development too, which I found quite useful. So I think those are the key aspects. I think it gives you a good training. It's a, it's a good place to start. And when you say policy creation or policy making, is that the stimuluses that we see coming out now? Or is the thought and strategy that goes behind that? Exactly. So you will have seen recently IBA cut interest rates and they've launched a quantitative easing program like other central banks had. So that kind of policy development and the research and analysis that goes into that. So what are some common misconceptions that people have of economists? Obviously, you came from an environment at the RBA where that was what they live and breathe. And then coming in here where obviously, you know, an understanding of the markets comes into play, but property is front and centre. I haven't really detected any misconceptions. My boss, Ben Burson, who's the chief economist, he actually started at the Federal Treasury. So he has quite a similar background to me in, in some respects. And he went over to London and did some property consulting work before coming back here to Knight Franks. So he has very much a, a kind of similar background and interest in markets. He also kind of stumbled on property in a way. And it's been quite easy to fit in from that perspective. Would you say that that's the same for the rest of your team? I think for some of them, they're more experts in commercial property research. So yeah. they've probably built a career around that. For instance, Katie Dean, who's had a podcast yeah. previously, she's spent quite a bit of time focusing on commercial property research. So looking at the various office markets in Australia and then going to Prague and mm-hmm. looking at some of those markets in Central Europe, but then coming back here and, and focusing on industrial property now. So she's had much more of a, a focus on commercial property markets, unlike me, which my background's a bit broader and then coming into property. There's a lot of people with 
very different backgrounds, but I think that's good strength. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that works to your advantage having a different perspective? Because I also come from a non-property background, and so I like to think that I look at it with a different lens. I agree. I think that's true. I've found that. So I have a different perspective, but I don't necessarily have all of the in-depth property market knowledge, but Mm. I think there are two different skill sets that complement each other quite well. So I think we work well as a team. So we talked a bit about my background, Sophia. Tell us a bit about your background. I don't know if it's as highbrow as the RVA, (laughs) but I used to work in PR. So I, in university, studied journalism. I had watched Blood Diamond, actually. and um, It's a good film. Yeah, I think it's Jennifer Connelly plays a, like, investigative journalist. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. That's something that I want to do. I really loved the whole storytelling aspect of it, interviewing people, unearthing what might be fun or quirky or interesting stories. And did it at university, did a couple of courses on radio presenting, which is why I signed up to this podcast, and then realised, yeah, that I preferred to be a bit more behind the scenes, and so did PR, and worked in lifestyle and consumer PR for a couple of years. So this is my first time, I guess, working client side. My last role was in entertainment, so I actually did entertainment publicity for Universal Sony, promoting their movies when they came out in the home, so that's for DVDs, if anyone still has a DVD player. We got to do some really cool stuff, including interviewing a real-life spy for an espionage film, Atomic Blonde. So there were some really cool tips and tricks that he gave us on how to memorise things, because obviously as a spy you can never write anything down. So the opposite to me, I'm like a really diligent <laughs> we got to host a pet mirror where it was essentially a real life red carpet event where people brought their pets along and got to sit in the moonlight cinemas and watch a film together. So we had everything from my rabbit Coco come along to a pet goldfish that we bought that morning and unfortunately it didn't quite make it to the event in the evening. Oh no, but, um, disastrous. Yeah, not so great. <laughs> the goldfish was there with us in spirit. The real coup was having Kevin Bacon from The Grounds, wow, okay. who is like a massive pig. I don't know if, if you've seen photos of him. I would definitely look him up after this. He is a ginormous pig. And he came all suited up and walked along the red carpet. It was a really varied job. No day was the same, but I'd say it's the same in property or in research. There's um, a full spectrum of things that you do in the day. and. It was just, I think, a chance encounter that led me to Night Frank. I had a friend that I studied with in university and she got me a job here and she was like, you're going to be working on the flagship project for the residential team. And I was like, wow, okay, big deal. <laughs> Came in, not really sure if I knew what exactly I was walking into, but it's uh, it's worked out really nicely. I think at first it was a little bit daunting because I see property the same way as finance. It's very much the top of your game of what you could be doing. And, you know, everyone's walking around here in suits selling multi-million dollar office towers but I think you've just got to back yourself and know that the skills that you have much like you coming into what you do now are all transferable and you're here for a reason and someone hired you because they see something in you and I've been really fortunate to be able to make the role something of my own because of my past skill set. We don't really follow any of those conventional property marketing tactics. You know, you wouldn't find us on domain. We don't really have, you know, open homes. Everything that we do is quite bespoke and it's quite a personal approach to selling property. Everything that we do is through brand partnerships and always, I guess, trying to think outside of the box. And so I guess that's where a difference of perspective comes in and I think you know public relations you know there's that interpersonal aspect to it and that carries through to what I do in this role yeah definitely and have you found diversity in night frank 
I think Night Frank is definitely a company that is striving to do better and is looking at different ways of doing things and it's a really pivotal time for change and quite an exciting moment for anyone that does want to step up and share any concerns or directions that they think the company should go in. Speaking of my own experiences, my team is quite diverse. You know, we've got 50% females, 50% males, 50% of a non-Caucasian background. We have someone of a LGBTQI orientation. We've got people that are married with kids to people like myself who have plants and someone that has dogs as their fur babies. So, you know, my team itself is quite mixed and I, I like that, you know, when I walk around the floor here at Pitt Street, when I come to the head office, you see lots of different faces and people from different backgrounds so from my team none of us really apart from Erin who runs the team none of us really came from prime resi backgrounds but I don't think that that's a hindrance at all to what we do and you know our team just goes from strength to strength in terms of every achievement or goal that we surpass you know I hope that the difference of views that I bring to this campaign is beneficial so yeah, I think it's it's interesting. How do you feel about the diversity at Night Frank, Chris? Uh, look, I, I tend to agree with you. You kind of think that the property is going to be all male or mostly male, mostly white. And yes, I, yes. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> and and, and to some, I mean, to some extent, that's true. But I yeah. think there is quite a bit of diversity here and a, and a willingness to accept a, a diversity of ideas as well. There's probably room to improve, but I think there's an acceptance of diversity and actually I think people want diversity too. I think people value it. There's two paths. One is that I think we're moving away from really tokenistic actions. So instead of a screensaver come, you know, a certain event day, there's working groups that are being put together. There's a bit more action that's been taken around policies coming together and hopefully, you know, going into next year and the year after we see those come to fruition. And so you and I will keep an eye on them. And then I guess the other thing is you and I are non-traditional property professionals. We've come from, you know, different um, industries and done different things in life but I think the thing that I like and that I've been really surprised by in property is you have one group of people who have lived and breathed property for the last 20 or 30 years that's what they've done their entire lives and that's what they are going to do until the day that they retire and then the other half come from totally different backgrounds and they just are amazing at what they do and and I just think that breadth of life experience just enriches the people that we have in this industry. So now having been in the property industry for a couple of years, do you think it's a place that you'll stay or is there some other directions that you'd like to take in your career? I think for me, I'd like to stay for a yeah. while. It's a really interesting and diverse sector. I'd like to do it for a while. To be honest, I think having a background in economics, it's quite broad, so you can mm. really do, do kind of anything. I'm interested in financial markets just generally and, and capital markets. So I think you could apply that to any asset, not just property. But property, I think, is, is one of the more interesting ones because it's such a heterogeneous set of assets. I never really understood the appeal of property until I started working here. It's interesting to see how it kind of underpins everything or ties everything together, which is probably yeah. how you feel about economics. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And I think one of the interesting things about property that I never really thought about before I started is just how a space can alter your mood or mindset, yes. you know, for better or worse. 
if it can be you know, something that's bright and welcoming or cold and austere and I think being in property I've kind of got more of an appreciation of that aspect of property how it affects your physical and mental well-being it's not just assets that you're buying and selling you have opened up a very interesting can of worms or an interesting tangent in that before working here I didn't realize how much planning and consideration goes into property so right now we're sitting in one of the meeting rooms at Pitt Street and it's really bright it's beautiful it's sunny it's got these floor-to-ceiling windows that you can look out of and right now I would say that that puts us in a pretty good mood for the afternoon while we're sitting here chatting but there was someone who was sitting in a room like this thinking about oh what are these spaces going to be used for who's going to be in here all these considerations that not only go into an office or a building but the whole like place making component that goes into it Barangaroo was formerly uh, an industrial shipyard and now it's been totally rehauled. There's all these restaurants, apartments, amazing spaces, parklands that are already buzzing and hopefully when people move into Crown residences and are staying at the hotel, it's just going to take off from there. So it's really interesting to see how that all comes together. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of Crown Residence and one Barangaroo, <laughs> um, that's, that's probably one of the more exciting new spaces in Sydney. Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Just architecturally, absolutely amazing. And yes. I haven't seen inside it, but judging by the display suite, uh, absolutely beautiful inside too. I'm very excited to enter this next phase of the sales and marketing campaign because as beautiful of a display suite as we have, nothing compares to the real deal. So hopefully people will be able to come through and see and appreciate all the craftsmanship that's gone into it. We have our architect, he designed it as a an inhabited sculpture that twists and turns as it goes up. So that's how all of the apartments have jewelable aspects. So whether you're standing from the living room or the kitchen or your bedroom, you'll all be able to see either the Sydney Opera House or the Harbour Bridge. It also means that no floor plan is the same. So if you're trying to build something, obviously if everything is consistent, that makes it a lot easier and has scales of efficiency when you're you know, building materials or putting in plumbing. But because everything moves by a couple of degrees, it just means that each new apartment is almost like a new project that you're doing. And so it means that all the panels of the glass that you see on the shiny building that we have, all of them are completely different. So there's like, I think, close to 10,000 panels of glass that have been individually placed. Yeah, well, it's just painstaking. Yes. The residents finish in March and we start moving people in and people are so excited. We have people constantly asking us if they can come on site and they've already started, you know, buying their furniture, getting their interior designers on on board. So the hotel will open first as well as the restaurants. There's over 14 bars and restaurants, including Nobu. There's some uh, Sydney favourites like Woodcart, which is uh, by Ross and Sunny Lusted of the Bridge Room. So that'll be quite an experiential approach to cooking as well as Amare, which is your Italian. But I think Crown is quite good in covering all the bases. So you have your signature Chinese, Italian, Uh, There's going to be an incredible whiskey bar that's on the roof. There's going to be some amazing spaces, so I'm very excited and can start booking. So it'll be really exciting once it's opened. Very good. Yeah. Um, And so what's the investor demand been like for the residences? It has been phenomenal. We have each month exceeded our inquiries. If we compare the first half of last year and the first half of this year, we have seen a 175% increase in inquiries. And that's a lot of that comes through from social media. So we have a phenomenal PR agency that we work with 
and they do a great job in the storytelling of what it is that we're building at Barangaroo as well as our social campaign which is yeah the biggest driver of inquiries and up until very recently viewings as well. That's amazing. So is the investor demand mainly domestic from Sydney or? It is and I yeah. think a lot of people are surprised by that but not really when you consider the product that's been built. So it is something that is in Barangaroo. Unless you're a local Sydney cider, you don't know what Barangaroo is. You can't yeah. even say it. Barangaroo is something that, yeah, Sydney ciders love. They revel in. You go there, you have a drink after work. You walk around Barangaroo Reserve. They are really familiar with it. The fact that it's being built by a hotel operator rather than your kind of standard property developer is something else. And that's by Crown. So again, Crown Resorts, unless you travel to Melbourne or Perth and you stayed in the hotel or eaten at one of their restaurants, you don't really understand the service offering that comes with it. And we've had people who have purchased who said, oh yeah, I remember when I was 18 and I would go for weekends in Melbourne and I would just stay there and have the greatest time. And it's tapping into that nostalgia of that experience. Everybody who lives here is enabled with the harbour and the desire to have those views of the icons is something that's really special that again, only a Sydney cider would appreciate. And so the majority of our purchases are actually local and from Sydney. As much as you know, we've globally benchmarked it with international development, it's very much an Australian proposition as to why people wanna live there. And so they're very much Australian and very much Sydney, just like you and I. Do you think there'll be similar developments like it, either in Sydney or in other cities around Australia? I hope it inspires other developers and architects to take that leap to build something as incredible. Whether we see something like this in Sydney in the near future, I'm not sure. It's the last piece of land on the harbour where you can build yes, something yeah, as yeah. you know momentous as that. When we've had people come in and inspect our display suite that we have here in Sydney that overlooks the site, people, and we don't even say it, like they say it to us first, wow, this is so exciting for Sydney. Sydney's really needed this. This mm. is gonna bring Sydney up on a stage. and. It's not marketing speak from us. The people come in saying that to us. So that's really exciting. It's such a beautiful and iconic building. Yeah, I can't wait for people to go in and see it and experience it for themselves because as much as, you know, we can have the most cutting edge technology to, you know, show them the views and recreate a suite with the finishes, the actual thing is so much better. So Sophia, I read that Crown Residences at One Barangaroo is the first six-star branded residence in Australia. Is that right? That is, you are correct in what you read. It is a very exciting proposition for Australia in that we don't have a true branded residence concept. There are historically, you know, apartment buildings that are next to hotels and say that you can, you know, use the services or the amenities that are available or they use the same name of that hotel. But this is the first of its kind in that if you're a resident of the apartments, you can have housekeeping come up to your room every day if you hate making the bed. You can call for a burger at 2am if you're hungry or if you have an impromptu dinner party, you can call one of the chefs to come and make a three course meal for you. And that is you know, one of the many luxuries that you have. When our team meets buyers, Dexter Kang, who is amazing, he will put two people when they come in, he's like, are you looking to buy an apartment 
or are you looking for more than an apartment? And I think that's such a great way of separating us from everything else that's out there. Because yeah. if you want an apartment, if you want four walls and a balcony, you can go out and you can buy that. There's plenty of great stock out there. But if you want to have a lifestyle, it's a quite an exciting way of living. And it's something that we have in other parts of the world, but we haven't had to date here. And I think hopefully, as I said, that inspires other developers to take the leap and bring that lifestyle to others. So what does a day in the life of Chris look like? What have you been working on lately? A day in the life of me is, is pretty varied. A lot of the time I'll be writing. Sometimes I'm doing you know, quite a bit of commercial property forecasting. But all the time, I suppose we're just thinking about what are the key trends in commercial property markets, what we want to analyse and look at and what we think will happen in the future. Things like looking at the rise of micro-fulfillment centres. Mm -hmm. So because of the increase in online shopping and the greater demand for last mile delivery services, there's a lot more uh, investment into logistics areas. Yes, I definitely bought a lot of packages during lockdown. Yes, in indeed, yes. indeed. And doing my part to support the economy. Exactly, as a lot of people have been doing. And of course, to facilitate that, businesses need more logistics space and particularly quite small logistics spaces in areas that are quite closely located to, to your house, to everyone else's house. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's not in the conventional warehouse sense that you would find in more industrial areas, but coming into more suburban locations? That's right, that's right. So there's certainly demand for those warehouse spaces in the outer suburbs as well, but increasingly businesses do want to have fulfilment centres in areas that are quite close to where the goods need to be delivered to. So that's just one example of that. We're also looking at the shift to flexible working and working from home yes. and how that might affect demand for office space and what people's preferences are with respect to how often they want to work from home and how often they want to be in the office. It's not exclusively a pandemic trend. There's been a shift to flexible working for a long time, but obviously the pandemic's accelerated that dramatically. So we're just looking at the attitudes to working from home and how likely people are to, to want to work from home or come back to the office. And I think that the interesting thing is people do want a bit of a mix. So people do do want to be working from home some of the time and definitely want that flexibility, but they also want the social interaction, the collaboration they get in the office. So it's not that clear cut. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Occupy demand for office space bears over the next few years. I think there's a lot that's been said on the whole working from home experiment and people returning back to the offices. And I think uh, Janelle, who's also part of the research and consultancy team, made a really interesting point about retinal alignment and how much we get from it as human beings looking at someone's, you know, looking into their eyes, looking face to face. Yes, and yeah. you don't really get that communication feedback loop when you are just looking down at the camera on a laptop or speaking over the phone. And so that was really pivotal to us coming back into the workplace. And I thought, that that was a really good point because we hear a lot about the collaboration that happens when you're in the same space together or the incidental conversations that occur in the hallway or in the in the kitchen but that was I think a point that really struck home for me. What's the incidental learning? I like that <laughs> use of phrase. So in the Outlook report, the head of residential research, Michelle Chazelski, looks at the outlook for the prestige residential market. So Sophia, obviously you as a manager at One Brangaroo would know a lot about prestige residential property markets. So what are you seeing? 
Yeah, so as is touched on in the Outlook report that's out now, we can see that the prime residential market is just going from strength to strength. So our market in Australia was actually the only one to record an increase in transactions in the first half of this year. And that's, you know, taking into consideration lockdowns around the various states that were happening sort of at different times, buyer sentiment towards the market and what was happening and definitely a huge amount of uncertainty. But that's reflective in the amount of inquiries that we're seeing at Wambarangaroo. So I think, you know, each month, the number of inquiries that we had just keeps exceeding the previous. And we were really happy to see that we had a number of sales come through between the June to now period. And we're so close to completion. So that's really exciting. The same thing's been seen in our prestige team. So they're getting a lot of amazing stock coming through and it's more the volume than the prices that are taking or that are having any sort of effect. So it's a really exciting time going into 2021 for the prestige market. Yeah, it certainly sounds interesting. So, so what are the key drivers? I think the key drivers are the fact that ultra high net worths who are predominantly our client base are influenced by different factors, I guess, to the core market. So a lot of the businesses that we thought were going to be negatively impacted by COVID have actually turned out to do a lot better. The same thing could be said for quality stock. So in the case of Crown Residences, you don't have a lot of properties that are right on the waterfront that are newly built, that have level of services. So I think the amount of new stock coming through in the pipeline is quite reduced for yeah, the next yeah. couple of years. So it would be quality stock, it would be the appeal of Sydney, who doesn't want to live here with the lifestyle, the stable, relatively stable economy to the rest of the world, a great healthcare system, education, the way that we've handled the pandemic has been praised by everyone around the world. So I think, you know, all those things coming together would be the biggest drivers. As an economist, I guess you'd always be forecasting, looking to the future, looking back and ruminating on, you know, what could happen. Have your predictions played out as you expected them to? Not really, no. No, okay. not, re- not really, because um, we did a similar uh, Outlook document in 2020. We had a, a bunch of predictions within that, which we were fairly positive on the commercial property market. So we thought the commercial property yields would continue to come in that we continue to see pretty strong, but um, slowing rental growth. But with the pandemic, that's been a negative for commercial property markets, but the divergences across the sector have been very large. So the most immediate impact has been in hotel and retail. Uh, they've seen a, a very sharp drop off in demand, particularly during the lockdown. That's obviously now the, the lockdowns and the restrictions have been eased in most of the states. That's obviously subsiding, but that's where the impact has been most severe. At the other end of the spectrum, industrial and logistics have seen very strong demand because of that shift to online shopping we are talking about earlier. So it's been very divergent across the sectors. Office is somewhere in the middle of that and it's still, I think, I think quite uncertain as to how that will play out. That's harder to know, but the key thing that we think will happen is there'll be more of a divergence between assets based on length of income and also whether they're prime or not. So we think that prime assets that have a relatively long income stream will fare much better than secondary assets or assets that have shorter income streams. In terms of this year, what's, 
I think been surprising to me is just the scale of central bank and, and government support around yeah. the world. Um, so that's obviously helped asset prices recover. It's also kept people in jobs and supported their, their income as well. So I've been pleasantly surprised by that. Also, how rapidly a vaccine's been developed or looks to be developed. Yeah. So we have some pretty positive trial results for the phase three trials that, that have been going on. And it looks like be able to start distributing a vaccine towards the end of the year. That sets up the basis for a reasonably strong economic recovery in 2021. And I suspect conditions in commercial property market will recover with a lag, but probably in 2022, we'll see a pretty strong recovery. That'll certainly be interesting to watch and, and should be really positive. I think there'll be a lot of hope going into 2021 and a lot riding on New Year's this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Lots of expectations. I'm going to break the fourth wall and just say that prior to this recording, Chris and I said that we weren't going to talk about COVID, but we... I broke the rules. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but it's almost like the elephant in the room, right? Like you can't not talk about what's going on without it tinging it or influencing it in some way. Yeah, I think that's true. Part of the reason for that is it's had such a profound impact, negative impact on certain sectors and other sectors or other people haven't been very affected by it at all. So to anyone in the company, they would know that Chris was like the unsung hero of COVID in that during lockdown when we were all at home, Chris's face would pop up on our screens every day because he would send a daily news update on what was going on in the world, what was happening in markets. And yeah, he was like a beacon every day. I look forward to seeing his emails and just getting a nice summary of what was happening in the world. So how did those emails come about? It just came out of the fact that there were so many people around the organization asking us for an economic and financial market perspective. So we started doing a weekly economic update but because events moved so quickly, it kind of became out of date as soon as you drafted it. And that's where we came up with the idea of doing a, a daily email. So we just give a snapshot of what happens on the day, what happens in the economy, what's happening in financial markets. It was just that demand for news and information, I suppose. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to when you work in a PR agency where there's always one person who's tasked with sharing the news roundup for the day. So it's always a really useful piece of communication with the world changing so quickly to be able to compile something like that is, I would say, quite an achievement. I do rely heavily on on various <laughs> news sources, but um, I tried to put a bit of everything in initially and because there was so much going on at the time, it was quite a bit of work. Obviously, the news flow has slowed down quite a bit now, so it's less work. When I was working at home in my kitchen over my morning <laughs> coffee, I really enjoyed waking up to that. But uh, when I said unsung hero, Chris, I think actually is a hero because he got awarded the New South Wales Innovation Business Award. I'm sure for more things than your daily emails, but uh, he was definitely commended for those efforts. Oh, thank you, Sophia. You're, you're too kind. But... <laughs> so you said that the reality has kind of defied your expectations on what's happening in the broader economy. Do you think then that this is quite an exciting time to be in property? I think the pandemic has created a lot of challenges for some property sectors, but there are also a lot of opportunities. But also I think more people within property are looking at emerging sectors. So they're looking at things like healthcare and childcare and data centres as well. And so they're not exclusively pandemic trends, but I think they have been accelerated by the pandemic. I think people are looking for different types of commercial property assets. 
I also think from an office market perspective, it's quite an interesting time to be in property because people are more focused on staff, mental and physical well-being, and it's going to be much more focus on amenity within buildings yeah. and, and how buildings and how property can actually help enhance people's physical and mental well-being. That's so interesting that you said that because we recently had a webinar in relation to the global development report that we put out where we had someone in from the Amman Resorts and she was saying, you know, that uh, health and wellness is something that you practice and preach every single day and that's why they have a presence in branded buildings, not dissimilar to Crown Residences, so that people can practice what they preach and it's really easy for them to do that. And the other bit was they had a consultancy firm who looks at furnishing homes with sustainable furniture that is also good for your health. So made out of upholstery or materials that can absorb the harmful toxins in the air and increase the amount of oxygen that you take in. So it's a very exciting time that we're in. Speaking of, you know, international travel and chatter about borders reopening, where would be the next place that you would go to? I have three in mind. Mexico is the first. Ooh, interesting choice. Well, it is. And that's actually because I was going to go to Mexico in June this year, but I couldn't. So I was going to go to Cancun nice. um, for a 40th birthday extravaganza. Wow. Yeah, we're going to go to Cancun, go down the coast to Tulum. So that would have been a lot of fun, but uh, unfortunately that got cancelled. So that's kind of on the to-do list. Yep. I was thinking about where would I go in a, in a relatively COVID-safe yes. country, as probably as likely the borders are opened piecemeal. So we'll get to go to New Zealand first and then maybe the Pacific Islands, maybe Singapore and whatnot. And I was thinking possibly Japan would be one yes. of those relatively low-risk countries I'd love to go back to right there in 2017. Nice. So that would be that would be good. And the other one I've been thinking about for a while, but never we got to in a not so COVID safe country, um, Spain. Oh, Spain. So, yes. <laughs> um, so I've been to Madrid and Barcelona, but not down to the south. Which so one did you like better? I prefer Barcelona. <gasps> yeah, less Spanish, but um, I yeah. Feel I like can... That's the more touristy answer. The only reason that I is, ask is, is because that's I did my exchange in Madrid. In high school, I'd studied French, and so I'd always thought I would go on exchange to France. But then when it came to selecting subjects, I had to do them obviously in line with my degree and they just didn't quite match up for France. But then someone said that communications was really good in Spain. So then I picked okay. Madrid to go to. It was just such a beautiful and really underrated city. I and think then, it is very underrated. Yeah. And then um, once you go to Barcelona, it's just so much bigger like Sydney. And to be able to have that like day to day experience, it wasn't quite the same. Yeah, I think Madrid is definitely the more Spanish city. It feels much more authentic and like you're in Spain. And how about you? Where would you like to go? Japan, but I would yeah. also love to see Korea as well. I find the food and the culture quite fascinating as well as just the whole like K-pop world I've started getting into. So I would right, like to excellent. explore that a bit more. That would be a lot of fun. Yes. Watch out for my uh, K-pop channel. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Sophia. It's been a great chat and been very interesting to get to know you likewise it was my pleasure you've been listening to the property perspective this is us i've been joined by sophia chu manager at crown residence one and myself chris norton director of research and consulting 